Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. We can hear the music of the NFL. Uh, that theme song, there are four or five of them. It's all 40, 50 years old. It's all coming back to me. But we've had a week of NFL excitement, business, marketing. And the person we choose to evaluate this with is none other than the digital guru of all of Reuters, Dan Calaruso. How was your week one? My week one was lovely, thank you. Um, I did not get to watch a lot of football. I checked in on the highlights. Um, I watched the New York Football Giants um, attempt a comeback and, and fall short. But it was, a, it was a, you know, I think the NFL um, represented itself well this week. Um, they were easy on the controversy. Um, there weren't any, you know, there wasn't like the helmet rule didn't overtake too many of the games or any of the games really in any crucial spots. Uh, so I think the NFL should be happy with week one that it got out um, without any injury to the league um, this week. Yeah. And by the way, how about Aaron Rodgers and that Sunday, did you do, do you have a chance to watch any of that game? No, I did read about it and catch the highlights. Um, and it was, you know, that's exactly the kind of things that the kind of thing that helps ratings. Yes. Right. And we saw ratings kick up a little bit in the regional games, kick up quite a bit in the regional games, a little flat for the national games. But that could have been because the Cowboys aren't expected to do much this year and the Panthers are the Panthers. But uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a really it was interesting. The Rogers, that was the talk of Monday morning. And I think that was really, it's really indicative of the kind of heroes the NFL needs to get itself back on the radar and get a little distance from controversy, from injury, from profiteering, and from all the other things that kind of have dogged it lately. Well, three very important comments to that. Number one, uh, while you were doing your thing on Sunday, I was at the longest game in NFL history, the seven-hour, ten-minute uh, electrical storm, and, and everybody kept asking me to go take a two-iron and go out in the middle of the field and stand with it. I, I don't know why. I just I don't understand, but that you maybe you can explain it. The, the, the second one is everybody was talking about the Willis-Reed parallel to Aaron Rodgers on Sunday. Yeah, I, I, look, the fact that it happened in, in a relatively meaningless intra-division game, uh, the first game of an NFL season uh, in an oversaturated sports market, sure. It, but the fact is he limped. And he almost brought and he brought his team back to victory. So that's where the comparison ends for me. Uh, and that's fine because here's the third piece, which is really important. Everybody is so obsessed. We are too of the ratings up down Thursday night game terrible ratings. So let's fold tent the Eagles and 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 Falcons. People were just doing other stuff. Sunday great held their own. Bottom line is ratings of what? And we've talked about this every single month, every single year. Total eyeballs is what advertisers should mind about and care about, what Madison Avenue, what the corporation should care about, what the network should care about. Not this arbitrary distinction in today's electronic world of who watches television versus who watches iPads versus who watches iPhones. You deal with the same thing, running a business that is primarily digital. It should frustrate people that the way Madison Avenue and others make decision is on TV eyeballs, and by the way, two eyeballs, unless you're a cyclops, not 20 at 
religious, uh, not churches, not 20 or 40 or 50 or 80 at bars. That counts as one. And, and not digital, not iPads, not, not, not phones. And by the way, until, as Mark Lazarus says from NBC, we find a way to meaningfully measure and interpret the apples to apples, who's watching and how they're watching, then the ratings issue is irrelevant to me. What do you think? Well, I think I don't think it's irrelevant, but I do think that you're right about the interpretation. Um, the idea that the NFL it could be a, a very powerful one-stop shop for a brand um, who's looking to advertise is dissipating. That's what gave the league its value. It was appointment viewing at its most pure, right? Um, now, with the diffusion of that distribution, they have to kind of figure out where the value lies. They have to realign their value proposition. And that's difficult. Um, and no one's really done it. But, you know, you talk to the NBA owners and they talk a lot more about permeation and impressions and, and that kind of measurement. And I don't think the issue is that we can't measure. The issue is we measure too well now. Um, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the metrics on the, on the website are actually very easy to digest and understand. It's just that they don't tell the same story. So you have to kind of rationalize how you, you want to, what, what importance or what weight you want to give each slice of this kind of new viewership. And I don't think they've gotten there, but you know, I, I think the larger issue is for franchises is to make sure that, um, that their arenas are enabled, that their team has a presence on social, that their esports thing is covered. Like that, that whole overall franchise perception and franchise permeation in a local market and to regional markets is really where the value is going to lie now. And I think teams have to start to understand that and really adapt how, they, how we look at the NFL and how we gauge, how we measure success, as they say in those business meetings. Ladies and gentlemen, that, that last two minutes may be have stated by somebody that is inherently understated, but that, that is one of the more important comments that we could possibly hear about the future of the NFL. Uh, segueing to one of Dan's favorite people, we'll talk about that coming out. Uh, Indianapolis Colts, uh, we can talk about, uh, and by the way, people have forgotten that Indianapolis Colts used to be the Baltimore Colts, but we'll do that coming Not out. Not the people of Baltimore. Yeah, well, yeah, no, they <laughs> remember how the Ravens killed the Bills, although, you know, Johnny Unitas and all, and they see him in a Colts uniform, and they say, what does that have to do with us? It's just a testament on how old we are. But speaking of old, uh, in a positive way, Pete Ward enters his 38th season with the Colts, and he is now the chief operating officer. He's been that since 2010. He started as a summer intern there. He was part of the move from Baltimore, uh, one of the first guys in the administrative position as they moved. He is now entrenched in the city of Indianapolis as a statesman, as an executive, and as somebody speaking for the Colts. But Pete has very interesting perspective on the NFL, on the Colts, on where it is and where it's going. Here's Pete Ward. The top industry leaders in the business of sports, and we start with the ultimate top, the COO of the Indianapolis Colts. He started as an intern in 1981, and look what he's done now. He's been with the Colts since 2001, the senior vice president since 2001, with the Colts since 1981. That's a missed 20 years. Pete Ward, how are you? <laughs> Those 20 years probably way. just flew by, <laughs> didn't great. they? Yeah, really. So you've been basically um, with the Colts and Jim Ursay longer than almost anybody uh, alive. What's your what's your perception of the evolution of the brand? Wow, uh, the game has changed a lot 
you know, when we moved from Indianapolis to, uh, I'm surprised, from Baltimore yeah. to Indianapolis, our coaching staff consisted of eight people, and our front office was about yeah. 15 people. And now we're up to 195 full-time employees and 20-some uh, coaches. So uh, <laughs> the game has become more complicated. Um, certainly, you know, uh, marketing has become more of uh, an element yeah. um, with NFL teams. Back when I started, fans are going to come. You know, it's a yeah. great game. We're king. Fans are going to come. And the world is changing. And, and uh, to give, um, you know, owners the credit, they recognize that. And our owner, uh, spe specifically, when he took over the team in 1997, saw that we needed to put more effort uh, into, um, you know, taking care of our fans and, and being involved in our community. Well, as important, it's a different kind of animal mm -hmm. of a team moving in. You probably have some advice for Mark Davis and Vegas as a team relocates, and you have yeah. some advice for the old Oilers, new Titans. What's it like to build a brand basically from the ground up moving into a city for the first time? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, they don't write a book on that. And and that's a long time ago. Yeah, it's a long time ago, and certainly was uh, a learning experience for me because we came to town with a yeah. skeleton uh, staff, and, um, and so we were, there wasn't enough time in a day to do everything. We could have worked 24 hours a day for a year yeah. and still not have accomplished what we wanted to accomplish. So... Um, my advice to Mark Davis is don't do it the way we did it because I had five <laughs> hours notice before we actually um, uh, moved. And, yeah. uh, so it was um, uh, an exciting time, but I wouldn't want to do it again. And so you're entrenched in the community. You've been entrenched in the mm -hmm. community and will continue to be. And the more you realize what the brand of Indianapolis is, it transcends other markets, amateur sports capital of the world, Eli Lilly, then the Colts, the Pacers, all-star games, NCAA. What makes Indy so special? You know what? It's the culture of collaboration, I think. Yeah. And um, that's something that we noticed when we first came. Honestly, if it weren't for the uh, sports initiative in Indy, we would be in Phoenix or L.A. Oh, yeah. or someplace yeah. else because uh, we came here. They had built a stadium with no team uh, to play in that stadium. And so it was waiting for us when we moved. Um, so it's just a, it's an, um, an intimate, uh, small-town feel, even though it's a big city. Uh, all the advantages of a, of a big city, but people work together, and uh, it's always been that way. Um, and, it, and it continues today with, you know, um, attaining these huge events like the College National Championship and Final Fours and the NBA All-Star Game. And Sports Corp is a glue, is part of the glue that puts it together. But as far as best practices are concerned, any market can say they aspire to do that. How did Indy get that done and other markets just talk about Again, it? Again, it's just a unique culture in Indianapolis yeah. and Indiana. Like they, People come together and, and get things done for the community. And uh, so it's, it is really special and we're fortunate to be here. Mega events, sports says mega events. You got the combine every year. What does the combine mean to you and mean to the city? Well, it's huge to the city. You know, it's right. um, it's become more, a bigger and bigger event, and over a thousand media come in for that. So it's an economic impact factor. Um, but uh, aside from that, it's the perfect it's the perfect location, the perfect setting, with this with the stadium being connected to the hotels and the convention center. It's the perfect scenario for the combine, and um, and it's been here for so long. Um, the medical resources, the people that know how it's done, it's it's uh, you know it's. It, you can't find a better spot. P. 
people at Radio City Music Hall said the draft was here for so long it's going to continue to stay and mm -hmm. people were asleep at the switch and now the NFL has a tremendously successful mobile property, Dallas, Philly, Chicago, otherwise. Will the Combine be on the list of mobile assets or is Indy fight hard to make sure that it stays where it is? Well, it remains to be seen. You know, when the contract is up uh, in, in 20, uh, there's nothing planned for the future. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. I know that the city will put its best foot forward in trying to retain uh, such a significant event. Let's uh, talk philanthropy. Um, mm -hmm. You're the chairman of, uh, of uh, the, a major cancer initiative in Indianapolis, have been. Uh, the issue of doing the right thing is always in the forefront. Everybody talks about statistics. Uh, you can ask why you do it. But how important is philanthropy to, to the brand, to ROI, and, and, and you and the Colts personally? Well, honestly, you know, it's important for every team to be involved in the community and yeah. give back, you know. Um, and that is, it starts with that, but goes beyond that, and it starts with, their, with leadership. Um, there are things that our ownership does that they don't need to do um, in terms of, you know, keeping our fans engaged there we feel like we're a, an important you know thread to this community and um, and it goes beyond giving back it's wanting to make a difference and make this a, a better place to live you know this is our this is our home it goes beyond you know keeping fans in, in our seats it's making this a better uh, better community stronger community but you've also got corporate partners who also believe in all of that. There are major corporations in this community yeah. that are making a simultaneous commitment to philanthropy as well. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, and we like to partner with them. And um, again, it goes back to Indianapolis and and people collaborating to do uh, significant things to make the community stronger. Here's a broad question, not a softball, but a broad question. In your mind, as we sit here in 2018, is the NFL going in the right direction? I think the NFL is going in the right direction uh you know we're certainly learning we're taking yeah. some uh some punches yeah um fair but it's way too soon to um to to think that the sky is falling um i, I you know we've taken some hits in uh, tv ratings yeah. but it's still a huge fan base and, and a huge following and you can't you can't really judge it based on the last two seasons and uh, i think that um it's such a, a great game and uh, run by some smart you yeah. know, people. The ownership is smart, and the NFL's uh, legacy is, again, working together um, and collaborating. And, and um, so you know, we, we think that we're in a pretty strong position for the future. Agree or disagree, regardless of the specific substantive outcomes mm -hmm. of some of these major issues, the, the kneeling issue, some of the union issues, a lot more introspection, a lot more analysis, as you said, a lot more collaboration. A lot more concern with taking the time to make the right decisions. No question. Yeah, yeah. it's a changing world, and we've got to we've got to be proactive. We've got to be ahead of the curve instead of reactionary. Um, and I think that we've been reactionary on on some things, and and it's you know, and we've learned that lesson. So uh, we're working uh, with the future in mind. As we speak about evolving, where are we NFL and others going on the whole gambling issue? That's a good question. We're still uh, feeling our way through it. Um, it's certainly a, a huge, um, the potential is huge in a, in a lot of uh, ways. And we have to look at you know, protecting, you know, first of all, protecting the integrity of the game and protecting and you know, make sure the consumers are protected. Um, we have to be, um, uh, you know, 
really, uh, really on on top of it because um, it can be a double-edged sword. But I think it's uh, being looked at as a as a huge positive, particularly from a fan engagement standpoint. So, uh, so we we're we're hoping that Congress will um, uh, put in place some uniform standards, you know, across all the states um, that we can abide by and and go from there. TBD. And, it's a yeah, long process. No though. question. Yeah. Esports. Where is uh, you know there are t there are leagues that are Adam Silver gets up in a press conference to say no. we're welcoming our new athletes. Uh, I'm not sure as an old guy that's an athlete, but that's not for me to say. Where, 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 <laughs> where's, right. the, where's that whole process? Well, uh, you know it's it's a growing uh, sport, um, and on the league level, uh, the league is taking steps to become engaged with esports. They had recently hosted the um, Madden uh, Club Championships. Um, on a local level, you know, we're still looking at it. We haven't invested in an eSport team like, uh, like my friend Jim Morris and the, and the Pacers have, but we're looking at it and, um, and looking at ways that we can be engaged. I could ask it this way, but, you know, you're not as old as I am, but, you know, 30 years ago, if you were talking about investing in an eSports team, would people th have thrown you out of the boardroom? I mean, they, they would say, what's eSports? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah, but it's no question it's popular with millennials. And millennials are a priority for all of us. Where, do, where is the NFL the biggest challenge mm -hmm. for the league, and, and where is the league in five years? Kind of a two-parter. Uh, well, I think it's going to be, um, uh, you know, millennials are changing this game. They're our future uh, ticket yeah. uh, holders. And um, so we're doing things at the, league, uh, at the league level to change the game. We're making it more streamlined. Um, you know, we're engaged. We've got this huge social media staff at our complex now that is totally invested on uh, keeping millennials engaged. You know, we're, again, on the league level, we're distributing our content differently through social media, digitally. We've got the, um, uh, the um, Thursday night games, which are going to be distributed on Amazon Prime mm -hmm. in addition to NFL Network um, and the networks. Uh, so... Uh, there's a lot going on behind the scenes to engage millennials. And the interesting thing is, though, um, we, uh, recent Nielsen studies showed that millennial uh, following of the NFL has incre increased from 2016 to 2017. So that's a good sign. Good sign. Final question. Yeah. You've been at this. Well, I don't know how long it's going to take you to get it right. You've been at this for 37 years, basically? It's going to be my 38th season. Yeah. Sorry, i got to keep that right. 38 years. Yeah. So how many more decades for Pete Ward and Nicole? I'm shooting for three. Um, minimum, three more decades? But, uh, yeah. Good for <laughs> Honestly, you. Honestly, I think as long as I love it, you know, I'll keep going and as long as they want me. So that's the key. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Pete Ward. And if he lasts for 68 years in the organization, I want to I eat what he's eating and drink what he's <laughs> drinking. Pete, thank you very much. Thank Appreciate you, Rick. All right, coming out, Pete Ward was in Baltimore. He's in Indianapolis. Here's your chance. What's your overall perspective of that interview? I, I'm not going to um, attack the former <laughs> Baltimore Colts. Um, but I will say that, you know, it's really interesting um, how, you know, he spoke about something very directly about really capturing the imagination of a younger audience. Um, the audience that was raised on digital, the audience that was raised on fantasy uh, football, the audience that is, you know, maybe more open to embracing gambling, um, that younger audience is something the NFL has to capture. And I don't know that the NFL is demographically positioned 
the lack of an international presence compared to, let's say, the NBA is a big issue. Um, the real, you know, they do well on some of the, the fantasy thing they've managed to exploit and, and, and bridge that to gambling pretty nicely. But I think he's right in that the NFL does have to figure out a way to engage uh, younger fans. Um, he called them millennials, but I think he even means older than that because uh, younger than that because millennials are already like in their 30s, right? So that's so so that's the fan who should be buying season tickets and should have the financial solvency to to be you know a, a, a target already. But when he talks when you go a generation younger, how do you get them, especially when they're not playing as much youth football? Um, you know, you had uh, Saban on last week, and he talked about youth football and how that's important, how you have to take the contact out of it and still appreciate the sport. I think Pete Ward's facing the same thing. Like, how are you going to get, you know, what's going to get people as interested in football as they are in basketball or soccer or baseball? That's exactly right. And the bottom line of all of this, though, is that the NFL understands that challenge. It's a $16 billion industry. Understanding it and implementing it may be two different things. But if a guy who's been with a team now 38th year understands it's a top priority. He may not be young enough to experience it, but hopefully he's seasoned enough to do something about it, and that's one of those things we'll watch very carefully in the upcoming weeks. Let me ask you a question about that, actually, because that was something that I I thought was interesting. Um, You shoot video of these interviews, and I actually was watching the video as opposed to just listening to the interview uh, this morning before we taped, and it struck me, is age an issue, do you think, uh, with NFL executives? Is there a Theo Epstein generation equivalent in the NFL um, that's going to take the league? I mean, Jerry Jones' daughter, maybe. Um, but is there that generational element that could pull the league, or have they lost it? Has that all gone into coaching and not gravitated to the front office? No. You know, the interesting thing about this is the NFL uh, executive office is a very unique spot because many of them have come up the business tree, and I can tell you that probably two-thirds of the NFL teams have guys who came up from MBA programs or legal programs who, who I've known, taught, or worked with who are in their late 30s or f- up to 45 or so, and they're the same as a Theo Epstein kind of blueprint or type. You don't see them as much because they're overshadowed. There aren't as many trades in football as there are in baseball. The draft is important, but the old-time football guy still sits in that seat, and I think it's going to take a little while for that seat to change into a numbers-driven seat as opposed to a gut-driven seat. The Browns last year hired a guy from baseball numbers, and that didn't work out well like anything the Browns do. He was from so the Mets, it, too. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's a really good question, and I think over the next few years, the NFL continues to get younger. We just don't know it. Okay. I'll buy that, but 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 again, I think if you look at how the NBA owners are, are view their players and view the environment and view social issues, and you look at how the NFL owners were thrown into spasms of of apoplexy over the the national anthem thing and Trump and and the divis- divisiveness that came out of that, and the fact that they have collective bargaining coming down the pike, you wonder if there's not a, a space for the ownership to look at at a fresh set of perspectives. Um, as they engage this next generation. I mean, Pete Ward was really interesting in talking about Indianapolis and how they had built a stadium before they had a team and how that community really elevated the franchise and the franchise elevated the community uh, mutually. That was a great point to make, but that may have been the last war. 
and and the new war is you know creating that brand that has applicability and appeal outside of your local market and is truly in sync with what the local market needs. So it's just kind of an interesting, I just noticed it, um, and I'm not trying to be ageist, but I just noticed that when you look at the ownership uh, of the NFL teams, you look at the ownership of the NBA, it's a very different mix, let's say. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a very well, by the way, very well put. And, and the mix is, is, is obviously uh, older, but the structure in the front offices, when you look at it, might be one where it's the same demographic or dynamic, it's just they may have less power or less visibility on the NFL side. It's certainly something that we need to continue to explore down the road. Riccardo, Dan Calaruso, see you next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Our producer, Alex Cohen, associate producer, Freddie Joyner, assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Jesse Leeds, and Jamie Swimmer. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.